Well, it is a joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, I was just talking with my wife. Edgewood is our longest partnering partner church. You have supported us, you have partnered with us, you have prayed for us for more than a decade, uh, which is overwhelming, which is humbling, and we are so grateful for you. We praise God for you. We know you pray for us. We hear from you, and we, we just thank God for you, and we are very happy to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm your missionary in Japan. Uh, we have new prayer cards, which haven't been sent out yet. They're, they're back there if you'd like to pick one up on your way out, but um, it's just a joy to be here with you, and, and thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to start out this morning reading from Mark chapter five, verses one through 20. And before I read, know that what I am about to read to you will be far more infinitely valuable to your soul than anything else I have to say this morning. This is the word of God. It is a treasure. Let us read. Mark five, one through 20. They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, the le- had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to them, uh, to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat Uh, he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him 
that he might be with him. And he did not permit him to uh, permit, he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The, uh, the biblical account before us this morning is not your typical gospel account. <laughs> I think this is one of the most unusual stories in the entire New Testament. It's also one of my favorite. But when dealing with a challenging text like this one, I, I like to ask a very basic question. Why is this text in the Bible? Why did Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this story in their Gospels? In order to better understand the value of this story, we need to look at the stories before and after it, to see the whole picture, the big picture. Just before this, in Mark chapter four, uh, we see a very familiar story uh, where Jesus displays his power over nature by calming both the wind and the seas as they were crossing the sea on their ship. We've all heard that story before, but what is familiar to us was absolutely terrifying to the witnesses. The disciples in that boat who thought they were going to die in a storm were more scared after Jesus calmed the storm. They asked themselves, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Even though the disciples had been following Jesus for some time by now, they'd seen him perform miracles, they still did not know, they still could not see the full picture of who Jesus is. And so I think that one reason this morning's passage is included in the Gospels has to do with its ability to answer that question for us, who is Jesus? From the end of chapter four through chapter five, Jesus is slowly revealing himself, his true nature to his disciples, step by step, uh, journey by journey, story through by story. The veil is being lifted from the disciples' eyes as they see more and more of the glory and power of Jesus Christ. First, he showed his power over nature. Today we will see his power over Satan and his minions and if you keep reading, you'll see Jesus' power over disease and even over death. So step by step, the veil is being lifted from the disciples' eyes until they finally see, they finally understand, without a doubt, Jesus Christ is God become man. So let's look at this morning's passage which begins with a rather terrifying description of a man with an unclean spirit. This demon-possessed man who, who Jesus has come to is at the same time a frightening and a pitiful person. 
No doubt people from the area knew of this man and his circumstances quite well. And and they obviously considered him a threat to all the people nearby. And we read of this poor man's circumstances in verses 2 through 5. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The very fact that the people tried to restrain this man with chains, and yet he was able to get himself free, explains why he was driven out of the city and forced to live alone amongst the dead. The fact that this man lives in a cemetery is troubling. Uh, I'd say that would be true of anyone living in a cemetery. Um, but, But Mark adds the fact that this man would wander around the area at night, wander among the graves, wander the hillsides, screaming out all night and cutting himself with stones. He must have terrorized the whole area. Moms warn their children, don't go near the cemetery. But in reality, this man was not insane. He didn't need medication. There was no psychiatric solution to his problem. He was demon-possessed. And in his completely self-destructive behavior, we can see that demonic forces love to scar and mar the image of God in his creatures. This this poor man's life has not only been reduced to savagery and self-mutilation, but now he is an object of fear and scorn and hatred on the part of all those who lived in the area, people he's known his whole life. This man is a genuine threat. He is a danger. And so even though he was, was chained up Uh, for his own protection, the chains were also there intended to protect the people in the community. And as sad as this is, we can imagine the way in which people in the area viewed this man with fear, with disdain. He was utterly, completely alone, isolated, yet Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him enough to get into a boat, sail it through a storm across a sea just to meet this man. We know that was the purpose of the trip because as soon as he was done, Jesus left. Just to meet this sad, lonely man, Jesus piled his disciples into a boat and said, we're going to Gentile country, to a cemetery, next to a pig farm, to a bunch of Jews. 
None of those are kosher, by the way. Um, Imagine these poor disciples. They have just been through a storm they thought would kill them and then see their friend silence the storm. They're terrified. They're probably exhausted. They're seeing the beach and thinking, oh good, we can camp and get some rest. And then the boat pulls up and a screaming naked bleeding man comes shouting at them. Poor guys. (laughs) So this account happens on the very same night as that storm. Jesus, his disciples, uh, were caught in the storm and now now they're on their way. And it could be that this man, this demon-possessed man, had been standing on the cliffs and witnessed Jesus calm that storm. And watched as his boat made his way to his beach. Mark says when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The response of this man is in contrast to Jesus' own followers. The disciples who were very, very close to Jesus, who had witnessed many of his miracles, miracles were still asking one another, who is this man? But here, this naked, bleeding, possessed man immediately recognized he's dealing with the Son of God, or at least the demons controlling him did. Not only did they not know they were dealing with the Son of God, but, uh, sorry, not only did they know they were dealing with the Son of God, but they recognized that Jesus has the power and the authority to dispose of them as he pleases. Jesus answers the demoniac by saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and asking him, what is your name? And the demoniac answers, my name is Legion, for we are many. In that day, the word Legion was associated, of course, with the Roman army. And a Legion was a band of 6,000 soldiers. Yet even an army of demons trembled with fear in the presence of Jesus. The demons understood that the coming of Jesus meant their doom. And so they tried to negotiate with Jesus. The demons begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And they asked Jesus to send them instead into this herd of pigs that were feeding nearby. And Jesus grants their request. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. We see in the way that these demons treated this poor man that they desire only to destroy. And they continue their destruction with the death of these pigs. But why did Jesus allow the demons into the pigs? One reason, I think, is that Jesus was providing evidence that the demons had actually left this poor man. Because anyone could see 2,000 dead pigs floating in the water. 
right? If Jesus just said, okay, he's clean now, how could people know? How could people know for sure? With this herd of pigs, now they could see. Jesus truly did drive those demons out of that man. They could, they could see the pigs in the water. They could hear the testimony of the, grape, uh, the group of, of angry herdsmen. No one could deny what Jesus had done for this man. No one could deny that this man was possessed and now he is not. Following the uh, unsettling encounter with the demoniac, we, we come now to something very beautiful in verse 15. We read that the demon-possessed, tomb-dwelling, bloody, screaming, naked man is now sitting there clothed in his right mind. From all outward appearances, the demoniac was as hopeless a man as ever there was, possessed by an army of demons. You would think this man is beyond hope. And then he met Jesus. The man met Jesus and his life was forever transformed. Being freed from the demons was only the first part of the blessing which Jesus bestowed on this man. The greater salvation that this man received was redemption from all of his sins. Jesus did this for him through his death on the cross. And I want you to think about what Jesus did for this man. As Jesus died on the cross, he was naked. He was bleeding. He was crying out. He was abandoned by friends and family and community. Jesus became like this demoniac on the cross so that this man could become like Jesus. This is what he offers all of us because none of us are as different from that demoniac as we like to think. Jesus left his home and his people and crossed to sea in order to seek out this demoniac. Jesus left his rightful throne and came to dwell on earth with us in order to seek you out. He lived a life of righteousness perfectly fulfilling the law of God, the law God requires of you. He lived the life God requires of you. And in his death, in his death, he was punished with your punishment. He bore the penalty of our sin. He was treated by the Father as though he were us so that now we will be treated by the Father as though we were him. 
Jesus' perfect righteousness placed over us. Our sin all paid for by Jesus. He traded places with us so that we can be with him. All of God's wrath toward your sin. Wrath that has been building up against you since the day you were conceived. All of it was poured out onto Jesus on the cross. When you sin tomorrow, God has no anger for you. All of his anger was poured onto Jesus. Jesus took it all on the cross. All of Jesus' righteousness was placed on you and the reward for that righteousness, a place in God's kingdom, is yours. God holds no anger for your sin. Jesus took it all. He died and buried with him in the grave and three days later, he rose in victory and ensured that we will join him forever in the kingdom. He became like us so that we can become like him. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the offer of the gospel. Jesus lived in your place. Jesus died in your place so that you can glorify our God and enjoy life with him free from sin forever as you were created to do. I want you to notice something else here. Jesus didn't wait for this man to expel those demons himself before he came to him. He didn't wait for this man to make himself presentable, get some clothes on, some band-aids, before he sought him out. Jesus came to this man in the midst of his darkness, in the depths of his sin, Jesus came to this man when he was utterly hopeless. And the same is true for all of us. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're heading, no matter how hopeless your situation feels, turn to Christ Turn to him and salvation is yours freely. If you're waiting until you're better, you will be waiting forever. The only thing required for your salvation, required of you, is to know you have nothing to offer and that Christ is your only hope. Turn to him today and salvation is yours. As, as the story ends, we are left with two opposite responses to Jesus. And Mark records that those who had witnessed the death of the pigs, they went and told the stories to, to others, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
It appears that the confrontation with the demons and the destruction of the pigs was just too much for them. That's a crazy thing to have happen in your town. And they would rather life just return to normal, things get back to comfortable, normal, everyday life that they've always known before Jesus came and disrupted everything. So it would be better in their minds if Jesus just left and things would return. By contrast, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus denies this man's request and leaves him there. But he leaves him there as a missionary. He leaves him there with a job to do. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus' demonstration of power and authority provoked two opposite reactions from those who witnessed it. And even today, when people encounter Jesus, there are two reactions. Like the crowd who begged Jesus to leave, there are many today who want nothing to do with the Jesus revealed in the Bible. They mistakenly believe that their life will be better will be easier, will be more comfortable if Jesus is not a part of it. Such people can live comfortable lives, happy lives, but they will carry the penalty of their sin to the grave and they will bear that penalty for all eternity and it will be more than they can possibly bear forever. It will never end. But thankfully, there are some, like this man who was healed, who are eager to follow Jesus wherever he leads. If you count yourself to be a follower of Jesus, the instructions given to this healed man also apply to you. We are commissioned to go and tell others how much the Lord has done for us and how he's had mercy on us. And I doubt if any of us can match the dramatic testimony of this demoniac. Can you imagine the sermon that guy could preach? <laughs> what a testimony, right? Uh, he could describe his life as a demoniac, how he spent time living in the tombs, how he used to cut himself with stones. He could talk about scaring visitors away. And then he could tell about how one day everything changed. The day he met Jesus. I was once possessed by demons. I am now a possession of the King of Kings. Son of the Most High God. We read in Mark that when the, the healed demoniac told his story, he told, when he told others what Jesus had done for him, the people marveled. Friends, if Jesus has healed you, 
the appropriate response is the same. Report to others the great things Jesus has done for you. Find ways to live out your gratitude to Jesus for what he has done for you. There is nothing that this healed man would not have done for Jesus. There is no mission that would have been too daunting for this man. This is what transformation ought to inspire in each of us. If Jesus has redeemed you, then your life should look differently than the multitudes. Followers of Christ should not blend in with the rest of society. We should stand out and boldly proclaim to anyone the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus declares to his followers, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that others see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus put his light in us and our response is to shine that light in this world. Jesus took a person who was likely the most hopeless man on earth and turned him into a missionary. And the same is true for everyone for whom Christ has given new life. And thankfully, praise God, we have been equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that message to the lost. We couldn't do it our own, on our own. That same power that calmed a storm, that same power that so terrified those demons, that same power that healed the sick, that raised the dead, has been given to us in order to carry out the mission of God in this world. It took me a while to figure this one out. I'm a missionary, but I'm, not, I'm a bad one. Um, on the hierarchy of mission, if there's a ranking system, you've got Paul and the apostles and William Carey and you know, the big guys. I'm, I'm down the list right about even with Jonah. Um, <laughs> Jonah, God told them to go somewhere. Jonah said no. God made a fish swallow him and vomit him where he wanted him anyway. And one day I'll see Jonah in the kingdom and I'll be, Jonah, same thing. Um, I didn't want to go to Japan, and God almost killed me in order to get me there. Uh, quick story. I was, I was a, a freshman in college. I had been a Christian for only a year and a half. Um, but I had finished one whole year of Bible college, which means I knew everything about the Bible. Um, and, and a friend of mine asked me to join him on a, a short-term summer mission trip to Tokyo. And I said... I'm not really interested in Tokyo. I, I'd never considered it, but there was a very cute girl on the team, so I went. Um, uh, whilst there, I, I'm a very proud man uh, still, but I was even prouder back then. Um, and I had these images while we were preparing, while we were training, of me getting to Japan and opening my mouth and just multitudes turning to Christ in repentance. And, and surprisingly, that's not what was happening while we were there. 
Um, I, I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't read anything. I kept talking to missionaries, and over and over and over, they'd tell me how difficult Japan is, and I kept thinking to myself, why would anyone come here? Also, it's incredibly hot and muggy, and I'm from Renton, so I'm not used to that. Uh, I was just sweaty all the time. My pride was wounded. I was having a terrible, sinful, selfish attitude, and it translated in my uh, dislike of being in Japan. Um, the end of the trip, our, our host wanted to take us to Mount Fuji. We left at three in the morning so we could get there, climb up, and climb back down. Uh, and our driver fell asleep on a mountain pass uh, on a bridge about 400 feet in the air. And uh, she kind of woke up and, and swerved the wheel, and we hit the, the sidewall, and the car started flying up. And I thought, this is great. <laughs> I get to get out of Japan, and I get to see Jesus today. I was excited. <laughs> I know it sounds weird. I was excited to see Jesus. And we hit a pole and bounced back onto the bridge upside down. And I knew I was not in heaven because it was painful. Uh, it was a bad accident. No one was killed, but it was not, uh, it, there were, I was badly injured. And um, I started thinking to myself how disappointed I was. As that car was flying, I was excited to see Jesus. And now here I am in an ambulance in pain. And I was asking God, why? You know I'm sick of my sin. I want to be free from this. I want to see Jesus. Why am I here? Why am I breathing right now, God? And God kept bringing to mind the verse which he used to save me, which is 2 Corinthians 5, the passage. 2 Corinthians 5 beautifully lays out the gospel. And then do you know what it says? We are therefore ambassadors. Christ has reconciled us to God, therefore we are ambassadors. That's why God is giving me breath right now. There is a job to do. And as long as I'm around, he's going to use me to do it. This is true of all God's children. You are here as an ambassador. You have the message that the world is dying to hear. You are where you are today. In your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your families, because God has placed you there. The people you know, you know because God has placed them around you. He has done that for a purpose so that they might glorify Christ after having heard the gospel. From you, we are all ambassadors for Christ. 
So here I am in Japan thinking of this verse saying, okay, I'll be a preacher in a nice, comfortable American town. Just please not Japan, God. Very next day, very next day, uh, we were home from the hospital. I was on the roof of the, the church we were at. It's a flat patio roof. And I was doing my devotions. I was reading Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul had left his companions in the north, gone to Athens, and his plan was to wait for them to join him. Then they would start preaching. But as he looked around the city, everywhere he looked, he saw idols. Scripture says his heart was moved within him as he saw idolatry everywhere. And he preached in the streets, in the marketplaces, in the synagogues. Anywhere people would listen, he was preaching. Moved by the lostness of the people of Athens. Moved by the knowledge that Jesus is worthy of their worship and he is not receiving it. And he preached and preached and preached. And I am reading this in Japan, which is so much like Athens. There are idols everywhere in every house you visit. There are temples on every corner. And to top it all off, as I'm reading this, there is a summer festival happening in the street below. And there are tens of thousands of people, Tokyo, Tokyoites, streaming through the streets, carrying idols on their shoulders, dancing to them, singing to them, playing drums to them, praying to them. They know they were created to worship, but they do not know the true God. The Athenians had the unknown God. Paul told them it's Jesus Someone needs to tell the Japanese. This is all happening that night, that, that morning. And the Holy Spirit just broke my foolish pride and, and uh, called me to Japan that, that day. And I've, I've, I haven't looked back. I love Japan now. It's still too hot for me, but I get along. Um... God has placed you. He has placed people in your life who need to hear the gospel. Out of a love for them, out of a love for Christ, out of obedience, fulfill your task. Proclaim the good news to them. They need to hear it. And if they reject you, do it again. And again and again and again. I'm going to end on, on the words of a wiser man than I. Charles Spurgeon said this. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in your sovereignty, in your kindness, in your mercy, you have chosen us, weak, sinful people, to be your messengers, to be the tools of the, king, the growth of your kingdom, to share in the joy of conversion and baptism and new life. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to serve you this way. And we pray that by your spirit you would empower each one of us to go out and proclaim the good news of your kingdom until the day your son returns. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.